Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. On today's show, we're going to be speaking to Dane Idle, founder and lead analyst of Idle Insights. He's been a frequent guest on the show, and he's got some very interesting data to break down with regards to the real estate industry here in Greater Vancouver. Um, maybe a bit of a spoiler, things aren't necessarily looking so great, but there's a lot of different layers going on here. So this is going to be a great conversation that I think everybody wants to listen to. And then later on, Lisa McGuire, CEO of the Manufacturing Safety Alliance of British Columbia, she joins us to talk about health and safety in the workplace. This is a very important factor going on right now. We have the lowest unemployment rate in Canada here in British Columbia. So how do we retain and recruit talent. She's got some very good insights there. Stay with us. We are going to first talk about real estate. Joining us today to talk about maybe some new data, digging into the greater Vancouver real estate market, it is Dane Idle. He's the founder and lead analyst of Idle Insights. Okay, so Dane, you've been crunching the numbers here. Uh, you know, I should say, Dane, thanks for joining us on the show. No problem, Tyler. It's My apologies. to be with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Now, uh, with that out of the way, uh, you've been crunching the numbers. Right. And I'm curious about the detached market here locally. How is Vancouver, greater Vancouver, doing maybe in terms of month of May? In the month of May, it was an interesting time. I mean, the month of May historically is the Christmas season, right? I mean, it's when there's a lot of activity in sales and historically over the recent memory anyways, high prices. Um, unfortunately, we're the lowest May um, in the last few years. And uh, we came in at an average sale price of $1,586,000, which is actually a $244,000 drop from the peak of the market, which is, we've spoken about before occurred in uh, May of 2017. At an average detached sale price of one million eight hundred and thirty thousand. So since then, we're 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 quite a ways off, and, and that's why the Itel Insights clients are uh, very grateful for our services. I'm I'm not sure if people always like hearing this term, but I mean, would you at this point classify it as maybe more of a buyer's market at that point? You know what? It's it's an at, at the way we see it, we're kind of at that middle ground. Okay. Um, and, and really, even on our public charts on the website, you can see that we. We have a green line signifying where the market was at the top. Oranges lines are basically where the market's projecting to go. Right now, we're, we're smack dab in the middle. We're right at the yellow line. And if you know, if we'll uh, equate it to a green light, red light, and, and so on. So we're, we're smack dab in the middle of where the market is projected to go. We are coming up against a 10-year uptrend, which is going to really cause some chaotic movement in the in the real estate market we're projecting at the very least by the first quarter of 2020 we will see a significant move downwards um, to the tune of 1.40 million and, and that would be a further correction of 186,000 from our most recent point here in May now that price point will basically take us back to the 2015 level um, right at 1.4 million average sale price detached market that's a huge psychological base. Now that's where we believe the market should find some traction. However, because of all this uh, over-regulation, if you will, uh, in the real estate market, there is a chance we dip below that, which would take us down to the next uh, psychological selling range, which would be 1.225. And that's basically where we took off in 2014. So that would be a 31% correction from top to bottom if we do indeed go down all the way to 1.225. 1.40 it would kind of be an early entry point, wait for the confirmation signals that we've broken out of the downtrend for the uh, for the 
easier investor. Is it accurate to say that maybe we're still in wait and see mode to find out if we've actually hit bottom at this point? Or are you making any bold predictions one way or the other? Yeah, no, uh, we're, we're definitely headed lower um, over the short term. And quite frankly, over the next couple of years, we believe 2021 will be the bottom for the detached market. That's when you're, you're really going to start to see entry points. Um, now, that being said, I mean, you, you if you have a five or a seven year outlook, and, and as we've kind of discussed, I believe on previous uh, episodes with you, you know, the economic situation is really changing here in greater Vancouver as well. When real estate prices are no longer increasing um, and, and construction slowed down quite a bit, you, you really have to kind of take a look at your financial situation. If you can qualify for a good property today that you kind of had your eye on, maybe go ahead and pull the trigger. You know, you can meet with one of the ITEL Insights uh, preferred realtors or mortgage brokers. And we can kind of guide you where the market's going, but also take care of your personal situation. Real estate is more often than not a, a very one-off situation for somebody who likes this one condo and, and their financial metrics make, uh, make it a possibility. However, w- when we talk generalistic terms, it's it's really for the for the investor mentality. Now, we don't think there's anything wrong with having an investor mentality for purchasing for your own property, especially a first or a second property, right? Um, we hear other economists or analysts are saying, well, if you have a 20 year outlook, you can buy any time. Well, I mean, inflation is a real thing. Corn will be worth more in 20 years to say that real estate will be worth more in 20 years is kind of an obvious notion. Yeah. What we offer is actionable intelligence. We say, you know, over the next six months, over the next year, here's the price point that we're going to be looking for, for this individual market to match, i.e. Uh, Port Moody, New Westminster, because each market has its own unique cycle, right? We speak here about Greater Vancouver, which is the overall market psychology that makes up uh, all of the movement. So definitely still time ahead of lower prices, um, continually building up on the inventory, which is actually forcing the the prices to go lower as well. Um, just quickly, the going back to May being an interesting month, it was the highest amount of detached sales basically in the last year since May of 2017. Is that a, a misleading sort of number to it, a certain It's degree? an interesting number. Okay, okay. Um, so basically since March of 2016, according to the sales, we were in what's known as a falling knife situation. Now a falling knife in a stock market, you basically have a halt to the stock and it reopens trading at a significantly less price. You can't do that with real estate. So this is as close to a falling knife as we've seen. It's a, it's, it's, it's a parabolic down, down market. The last May detached sales actually broke that trend, which is awesome. However, there is a more prolonged conservative downtrend that we're still well within. So the 918 sales was a good indicator, just kind of saying that, hey, listen, people are buying for multitude of reasons. If you list your property at an appropriate price, it will get a bid. Now, what we're saying is the appropriate price will be ever decreasing as we go forward until we actually reach the bottom. So that's kind of uh, our market guidance for a buyer and a seller. Now, if you are looking to buy in today's market, try to be realistic or else, you, you know, you, you won't actually achieve. You know, there's a, a difference between what today's market worth is and, and two years from now. So if you're wanting to pay two years from now, our, our idea is to really just wait, wait and hold off rather than upsetting the sellers that are out there now. Fair enough. Yeah. What do you think though of maybe the condo market right now? I'm, I'm wondering if there's a story that is diverging from what we're seeing with detached. Not really. Uh, as far as a divergence in, in prices or momentum, um, we're seeing, once again, I mean, it's the Christmas season. So we had a, a ton of new listings in the condo market, again, with, with the highest amount of sales in the last 12 months, uh, 1,248 sales in the condo market across greater Vancouver. Which is which is pretty good. Um, however, it's it's far off of the 
you know, 2300 that we were seeing at the peak of the market. So the condo market, what's going to really be the instigator for change or, or a, a continuation for change is the amount of inventory that will continue to build up in this condo market, especially downtown Vancouver. I mean, we have a lot of pre-sales that had happened and now they're actually going to be coming to completion here in 2020 and 2021. The investors that were heavily complained about because they were buying six and seven pre-sales at a time. I mean, if you think about it, they have a 15 to a 20% down payment at the highest. Um, we're calling for a market to correct around 30, 33% in the condo market by that point in time of 2021. So rather than unloading a lot of money to complete on those, he might just very well choose to walk away and or he or she might choose to walk away and, and that investor uh, developer is left having to resell these properties. Now, yes, they got some money you know, from the deposit and all that, but the amount of inventory will continually grow. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. I hear developers, they're not always in the mood to maybe reduce prices for like a new property though. Is that's totally correct. Absolutely. So that's going to what we term the cannibalization of the market. They will be forced to change their prices or offer incentive packages. And and, and that's one of the things. And, and I mean, I, I have been a realtor. I am a realtor. Um, I was around for that blip of a 2008, 2009 market recession. And that's really what you saw. Uh, I mean, there was cash backs negotiated in the contracts as well so that the contract would look at a certain price, but then the buyer would actually get some cash back at, at the time of completion or an upgraded in the uh, appliance packages, things of that nature. And and the, the oddity, I mean, because you, you will have two kind of different divergent markets in, in the condo market. You'll have the new ones that are all available with warranties and everything. However, they are smaller. I mean, there's no, no doubt they're building the condos smaller and smaller. Um, so then you kind of look at an older building, maybe a 23-year-old building that has, uh, you know, it's not maybe the most in the contingency fund, but effectively a brand new building. It's got a new roof, new pipes, new elevators, good condition, nothing really coming up over the next 5, 10, 15 years. And you look at it and it's large. And, and as, long, as soon as you renovate it, it's effectively a new unit and effectively a new building. And, and that will start to get a bid. And then you'll see the developers, you know, offer more incentives. Now, we have heard from some developers and saying, you know, hey, what are you doing to the market here? We're saying this is what the market is doing. We're just alerting it that this is a reality. They said, well, we always have the possibility to hold back properties to kind of give a false indicator that there's no inventory available. And I say to those developers that choose to listen to those marketing experts that say that, <laughs> you, you will be in a, in a in a worse off position because the, I mean, you're holding back something where there's a lot of inventory anyway. So yeah. the market won't be missing those uh, properties you hold back. Do you get the sense maybe there's some anxiety amongst at least some sellers? Uh, absolutely, some anxiety, um, or, or maybe not anxiety yet. I would say more frustration. Okay. Um, so an interesting thing is, you know. We're seeing li listings last longer and longer on the market. The days on market is continually increasing, which is a contributing factor to the inventory going up, right? Um, so, you know, clients or sellers that were listed 90 days ago even had different expectations of what they were going to achieve in a price. Their listing realtor told them, you know what, we'll, we'll sell it at this price. That obviously hasn't happened. You know, that X dollar that they were hoping to get hasn't transpired and the showings have dried up. So now, Either A, the selling realtor or the uh, seller is going to be upset with the realtor and maybe choose another realtor that says, here's the new price. 
or they're just going to give up and say, you know what, this market isn't worth it. And, and the buyers that are coming in, they're they're offering lowball offers. So, you know, there's frustration definitely as a seller. That's why, you know, we don't like to say use month over month. We, we actually trended out where the market's going. So you can anticipate what to expect as you're in that selling process rather than expecting last month to be the same as this month. I mean, that just never happens. So you said earlier on, we're, we're kind of in that middle ground. Maybe we're, we're sitting at that amber lights. Um, right. Any advice for sellers? Any advice for buyers when you were in this weird kind of moment? Um, for sellers, honestly, I think your first loss is your best loss. And I think we've said that on your show previously as well. Um, and, and that's held true. Like I say, the market's down 244000 since our first publication saying the market had peaked. Um, so yes, it, it, it wouldn't be the best... It's not the best feeling to take an offer on the table that you're totally not happy with. However, if you look at it a year out, that offer will be much better than you would be able to receive a year a year from now. Kind of a kind of an idea. Um, I mean, our clients find all kinds of different ways to take advantage of this chaos that is upcoming, right? I mean, if you think about it, if you have a condo or, or well, let's just use the condo example, and you sell it. Yeah, it's not great. You're down, you know, roughly uh, 104,000. But from the bottom of the condo market, average sale prices, we're still $121,000 away. I mean, that's a big chunk of change. So if you get rid of your property today, you could, in theory, maybe even buy it back at a much significantly cheaper price in two years from now, in 2022, and we expect the condo market to bottom because it does lag the detached market. Or you could theoretically buy two properties, one for yourself and, and one as an investment. And you start to build your portfolio like that. The other nicety at that point in time in 2021, 2022, after they start bottoming, I mean, what happens to prices? They don't lay dormant forever. They're actually going to start to come back. So all of these losses that we will have suffered will actually be coming back as gains or, or, or equity growing back to owners that haven't sold. But for new owners, that, that's all straight cash, straight equity. So this 121000 basically from the midpoint in the condo market Eventually in time, call it 2024, that will be back in equity in your condo, similar with the detached property. So there is advantages to dropping markets. And one of the advantages is actually moving up in a dropping market, because as percentages stay similar as the condo market, 33%, detached market, 31% anticipated drops 24 to 31 for the detached the prices are, are drastically different, right? So far, we're down 244 in the detached and only 104 in the condo market. So if you just kind of switch those roles, when life comes back, when the property's values come back, you, yeah. you can pick up a lot of equity. Not, not a bad plan there. Not a bad plan. <laughs> and that's the kind of actionable intelligence we offer rather than, you know, the ostrich approach, put your head in your sand, sure. buy anytime and sell anytime. It, we, we, we think that the, uh, the public and realtors and buyers, sellers deserve better. Well, Dame. Thanks as always. Appreciate you joining us. No problem, things. Tyler. Thanks for having me again, and we'll uh, we'll do it uh, in the near future. We'll do it. Yes, that's Dane Idol, founder and lead analyst of Idol Insights. Stay with us. Lisa McGuire from the Manufacturing Safety Alliance of BC. She joins us next. So BC's unemployment rate sits at the lowest in the country. That means it's up to employers to find ways to better compete and retain employees. And it's becoming increasingly clear that certain factors are at play here. And with us today to talk all about that, it's Lisa McGuire. She's CEO of the Manufacturing Safety Alliance of British Columbia. And so Lisa, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Yeah, thank you as well for the opportunity. 
So it, it might be obvious to some in your industry, but it might not be obvious to everybody out there. What are maybe some of the factors that employers need to be aware of when they're trying to recruit new people and retain the ones that they already have? Well, we um, had the opportunity to include a couple of questions in an Angus Reid survey earlier this year. And with that, um, polled Canadians, employed Canadians on the perspective of health, safety, and mental well-being. And what we found in the results was that 94% of Canadian workers polled said that workplace health, safety, and mental well-being was important in where they worked. Um, We also asked a second question, you know, asking them whether decisions made in their workplace considered employee health, safety, and mental well-being some or all the time, and only 77% said yes. So we know there's a lot of work to be done uh, to help employers build effective health and safety programs that that include mental health to keep and retain workers and build uh, an effective system to be more productive in terms of, of effectiveness. Well, I understand that you spoke to the provincial government or your organization did uh, maybe just as early as last month. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about maybe what uh, the industry initiatives are looking like at this point and maybe what reaction is from invested stakeholders? So uh, Minister Bain, the Minister of Health, um, has a goal to make BC the safest place to live and work in Canada. And our, our vision is to achieve cultural change that ensures safe workplaces for all BC manufacturing workers. Serving uh, 2,400 manufacturers uh, in our province that employ almost 55,000 BC workers, we're seeing um, impactful results uh, with the manufacturing sector leading injury rate reduction in our province. Uh, companies that work with us have seen a, a 20, almost a 24% injury rate reduction, which translates into um, into money. So with that, uh, companies that have worked with us over uh, the past few years since 2012 in terms of, uh, of a financial impact has seen a 26.1% average premium rate decrease that translates into over $36 million in premiums avoided. So certainly companies that invest in, in good health and safety systems are seeing results. Like, Are you getting the sense at this point that more companies are coming around to the idea that this is an investment and it is an investment in health and safety that is going to pay off monetarily? It's not just, you know, hey, uh, pat people on the head and tell them that they're doing a good job. This is actually something that's going to pay off for both workers as well as the workplace. Absolutely. And we're seeing that consistent trend um, continually in every employer that we work with. It really is an, a good investment that is delivering results. And as I shared, you know, we're seeing their premiums decrease and their ability to invest those funds into their business. People build their brand. People make their brand um, successful because it requires people to, to build their organization. And investing in them means you're also investing in your own business. I also think about your sector or the sector you represent, manufacturing as well. And look, it is a different sort of sector. You know, we're we're thinking maybe uh, there's still some dangers in the workplace if you have a desk job like maybe I do, but there are other potential hazards that maybe people need to uh, worry about or be aware of in, uh, say, manufacturing. Is this becoming uh, like uh, more awareness going forward in this particular sector about how important it is? I mean, absolutely. Uh, it is a higher risk in terms of the manufacturing industry. There are machines. So um, looking at ensuring that you have you know, proper safeguarding in place to help protect 
people. Um, it's repetitive, so musculoskeletal injuries are, are significant. You know, repetitive type uh, trains or strains and, 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 and back type injuries. So we develop programs to help support employers in, in building good um, ways of doing things to, to reduce that risk. And, and that's what we do. We help companies be successful at building programs to protect their people so they they have less injuries or um, no injuries is really what our goal is. Now, can you give us an idea or maybe paint a picture a little bit about what maybe some of the programs could involve or just, because uh, I, I know it might be different from uh, you know place to place, but is there a particular example you can uh, give us here? Certainly, we offer a, a number of, of services. We, we have professional health and safety advisors that come on site to, to businesses to help, you know, provide them information uh, through a gap analysis to see where they are in terms of, of a good system, a good approach. We develop training both online and on-site. We develop a number of resources. Because we serve um, both small business and, and large organizations, we have to ensure we have um, different products for different sized businesses, and we work hard to be able to, to have those um, different products to support their success. What's interesting you bring that up because you think of a small business and maybe sometimes they're more constrained by access to resources, but they're a little bit more agile. And uh, you wonder if maybe sometimes the the larger manufacturers might be a little bit more, say, monolithic or maybe just a little bit harder to uh, get them on a a different path. Uh, What has your experience been just with regards to offering different programs to different size of companies? Well, I mean... To your point, you know, small business have have limited resources, so we have to make sure that the products we give them, you know, translate to, to relevant uh, relevancy to, to their organization. We are seeing that medium-sized businesses have the highest risk, or highest injury rate. So, you know, as companies grow, they, they add risk, and and they are uh, it's not well controlled because we're seeing loss or, or more injuries. Um, whereas larger businesses have have the resources, but they may not have the knowledge, and that's where we need to adapt and understand where are those gaps. It might be in, in a special a specialty like a machine guarding expert to really help help them be successful. Um, they may be using robotics again, different different types of risks. So we have to ensure that we have the right specialists to help support their success in building more sophisticated programs with the type of uh, machinery and equipment they have. Well, one of the things I mean, maybe people would automatically think, you know, manufacturing safety alliance. Uh, they're thinking about maybe physical safety, but how important are you finding, say, mental well-being being in the workplace as well? Um, it, it is very important, as we know. We take the whole person to work. Um, you know, not just protecting their physical well-being, but their mental well-being as well. So we we have uh, developed one awareness program on on. Um, mental health, and we have a partnership with a, another organization uh, to help support additional uh, you know, knowledge around mental health, knowing that it is, it is critically important for companies to have good programs to, to protect the mental well-being of, of people. Well, excellent. Uh, Lisa, if anybody's interested in finding out more information, if you're a small business or just a curious worker who wants to know maybe what should be going on here, uh, what would be the best place to find out more information? Well, the Manufacturing Safety Alliance um, of BC is the name of our organization, and we have I mean, our contact information is uh, we are in uh, Chilliwack, BC is our head office. So our phone number is 604-795-9595. In terms of um, a website address, we have um, safetyalliancebc.ca is where to, to reach us. Excellent. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. 
Okay. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. That's Lisa McGuire, CEO of Manufacturing Safety Alliance of BC. And that's it for the show today. We'll be back on next week. So you can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with friends. It's going to help us reach even more people. I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening. 